about hope this past week. Uh, one of the local papers here had this uh, headline in the front of one of its supplements, Hope. And uh, it was very striking on the news this week. Uh, for example, on Wednesday night on the BBC News at 10 o'clock, Fergus Walsh, the BBC's medical editor, said this, Hope is on the horizon. And earlier on the same day, Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish First Minister, said there is now real hope that an end to this pandemic is in sight. And they were both referring, of course, to the good news that coronavirus, uh, the coronavirus vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, had been approved for use here in the UK. And hope is a positive word, isn't it? It's a powerful thing. The poet Emily Dickinson likened it to a singing bird. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And it was a Roman slave uh, called Terry, a Roman slave called Terence, who became a playwright who wrote, Where there's life, there's hope. Where there's life, there's hope. Now, hope is a, a major theme, isn't it? It's a major melody of the season of Advent and Christmas. In fact, today, on the second Sunday in Advent, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, a blue candle would be lit, and a blue candle representing hope. A flame burning to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ, the light that shines in the darkness, in Christ, the light of the world. Now, the, the Bible has a lot to say about hope, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in a moment, we're going to watch a video about hope. But before we see this video, let me flag this up. The Bible uses the word hope in a different way from the way that we often use it. The Bible uses the word hope in a different way from the way we often use it. Uh, to go back to the First Minister and to Fergus Walsh, they are able to speak about hope because of a positive change in our circumstances. Something positive has happened. A vaccine has been declared fit for purpose and therefore that gives us hope. And that's a hope that is rooted in our circumstances, our situation. But biblical hope, Christian hope, is not grounded in our circumstances or situation. Biblical hope is grounded in God, in God's unchanging character and in God's promises. And that is good news. Why is that good news? That is good news because for many people, for many people this Christmas, their situation is dark and hopeless. Their situation is not hopeful in the ordinary sense of the word, but desperate. There are thousands of people who have lost loved ones this past year, and not just because of coronavirus. There are thousands of people who have lost their health this past year. 
There are thousands of people who have lost their jobs or are going to lose their jobs in the new year. There are people whose marriages have failed. There are people who are trapped in abusive marriages and relationships. There are people who are lost in the darkness of depression and suffering the seasickness of anxiety and panic attacks. There are people whose long-cherished dreams have been blown to smithereens by their circumstances. And for all these people, And for many more, for the hungry and the homeless, for the alcoholics and the addicts, it's going to take more than a vaccine to bring the light of hope into their darkness. Well, let's see the video. It's from the Bible Project. Now, don't worry about the Hebrew and the Greek words. I'm not going to test you on them. But the point is, do notice how these words are used in the Bible. And notice how biblical hope endures. It persists even in the most difficult set of circumstances. Notice how biblical hope is based on a person, on the person of God, and on his unchanging character and promises. That's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. 
In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. A few years ago, uh, President Barack Obama wrote a book called The Audacity of Hope. The Audacity of Hope, the Boldness of Hope, the Daring Nature of Hope. Uh, recently, I saw that his new book has gone on sale called A Promised Land. And when I saw how much it cost, £35, I then realised what Barack Obama meant about the audacity of hope. £35? Mm, I think I'll have to wait. Although it has been discounted in the supermarkets and online. Now, President Obama knows that hope is an attractive word and a powerful force. It is a life-giving, life-sustaining force. He knows there is no hope of reaching a promised land without hope. But he also knows that the promise of a promised land makes hope flourish and grow. Now, I've not read uh, A Promised Land but I imagine the promised land he's talking about is the USA. And I'm guessing his book is to do with the part he has played, because it's a memoir, in trying to bring about a promised land. But trying is the key word here, isn't it? A politician's promise or dream, however sincerely it is made and however hard they try to keep it, is at best a sugarly peg. You know, you hang your coat on it and it might hold for a while, but sooner or later... It will give way. A politician's promise is not a foolproof, fail-safe guarantee. Far from it. And therefore, if we put our hope in politicians or their promises, sooner or later, that hope is bound to be disappointed, if not completely destroyed. And that is why the Bible tells us in Psalm 146, verse 3, Do not put your trust in politicians. Well, it says, do not put your trust in princes. Or, but it means rulers, doesn't it? In presidents or prime ministers or politicians who cannot save. When they die, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those, rather, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, Yahweh, their God. And it is that hope a hope in the Lord their God that 
sustained Joseph and Jacob, that flourished and blossomed in the lives of Jacob and Joseph. A hope that was grounded not in their situation or their circumstances, but grounded in the unchanging character of God and in the covenant promises of Yahweh, their God. And at the end of their lives, they could look back and testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God in all circumstances and in the darkest of situations. Think of all that Joseph went through. Being sold into slavery by his brothers as a 17-year-old, just after they kind of changed their minds that they weren't going to kill him after all. you know, And then bought as a slave, as a thing, accused falsely of something he didn't do by Potiphar's wife, ending up in prison for something he didn't do. How did he survive all that? How did he survive all that without hatred and bitterness and resentment? It wasn't by wishful thinking or optimism. He survived that by placing in his, his hope in the God of his fathers, the God of the promises, the God of the promised land, the God who had shown his word to Joseph in the form of his dreams. And so when it comes to the end of his life, Joseph, by looking back, could look forward with hope. God's faithfulness in the past grounded his hope for the future so that he was able to say and look with me at Genesis chapter 50 we're just focusing on the closing verses of Genesis 50 here look at chapter 50 verse 24 when Joseph said to his brothers I am about to die but God will surely come to your aid he will surely visit you And take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely visit you. He will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. And so Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Emily Dickinson wrote that hope is the thing with feathers. What we see in Genesis 50 is that hope is the thing with a body in it. Hope is in the shape of a coffin. For over 400 years, Joseph's bones would lie in a coffin in Egypt. But that coffin was waiting. Waiting in anticipation, waiting in hope, if you like, for the day when God would visit his people, would come to help them to redeem them from the prison of slavery and oppression, to redeem them from circumstances where all earthly hope had gone, making bricks without straw. And it was then, when things were at their bleakest and their darkest, that God came, that God visited his people, that God kept his promise to Abraham. For God had promised Abraham way back in Genesis 15 that he would come to his descendants, to his family, after they'd been held 400 years. And that afterwards they would come out from that nation, from slavery, with great possessions. 
God had promised Abraham that his people, his family would be redeemed. It was a promise of salvation, a promise of deliverance made by the God who does not lie and cannot lie. The God whose promises are not a sugarly peg, but are stronger than a ton of titanium. Here is a God we can put our hope in. A God who heard his people crying in their misery and distress. A God who came to their rescue. A God who did surely come to his people's aid. Who visited them with his salvation and would come to their aid time and time and time again throughout their troubled history. Until the day, until the day when a newborn baby's cry pierced the cold night air in a town called Bethlehem. A cry of hope. cry of hope. How did Zachariah put it, the father of John the Baptist, when he sang his song inspired by the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1 verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people, he has visited his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, God always keeps his promises, do you see? Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. God always keeps his promises. And to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, Zachariah is speaking about John the Baptist, his newborn son. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the... Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us, will visit us, the same language, the rising sun will visit us, Jesus, from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the Lord who has come to redeem us from all our sins. Psalm 130. The one for whom God's people had been waiting for centuries. The one in whose word they had put their hope. The one in whom there is unfailing love and full redemption. Jesus, the Son of God, has come to our aid. He has come as our door of hope out of the valley of Echor, the valley of trouble. He has come and shown us the tender mercy of our God. He has come to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. You know, it's true, isn't it, that Jacob and Joseph could both look back to God's faithfulness in the past and so look forward with hope and anticipation. Well, how much more are we today able to look back To look back to the same God, but to the fulfillment of all his promises in Christ our Redeemer. 
how much more are we able to look back to Christ's death on the cross for our sins and his rising from the dead, knowing that God has come in his unfailing love to redeem his people with a full redemption. And friends, I hope you see, I hope you see and understand that that hope, that is a hope that is not grounded in us. That hope is not grounded in our circumstances or our situation, our personality or our feelings. That is a hope that is grounded in Christ crucified, risen and ascended. Here is a living hope. Here is the living hope, the hope of glory for us and all creation. Paul says, doesn't he, that it is Christ in us. That is our hope of glory. Colossians 1 verse 27. Christ in us, our hope of glory. Our sure and certain hope. When, like Joseph and Jacob, we put our trust in the unfailing promises of the unfailing God. And that kind of hope means we can afford to wait. Doesn't it? That kind of hope means we can afford to wait even in the hard times and the sore times. Even as we cry along with the psalmist out of the depths, we can wait. Our hope is not in the Christmas lights. Our hope is not even in the Christmas songs that are playing today in Debenhams as the staff prepare for redundancy. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the light of Christmas, the one in whom there is unfailing love and full redemption, the one who is one day coming back again to gather his people to himself and to make all things new, to usher in a world where there is no more pain or sickness or sadness or death or sin. He is coming to make all things new. Here is the true audacity of hope. The daring nature of Christian hope. That we as the people who belong to Jesus. Choose hope. Whatever our circumstances. And as was said in the video. We choose to wait. To wait for God to bring about a future as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for hope incarnate in the form of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Saviour. We thank you that through him we have a living hope. We thank you, Father, that you have come to us. You have visited us with your salvation. You have come and shown us your tender mercy. You have come to help us and save us by your grace. You have come to help us know the light of Christ. To rescue us and set us free. Oh Father, whatever our circumstances and situation this morning, this week. And for some of us, our situations are hard and difficult and painful. Help us by your grace. Help us by 
your spirit and your word to choose hope. To choose the hope of the Bible. A hope that is grounded in you, Father, in your unchanging character and in your unfailing promises. And help us to point other people to the hope that we have. To people who are struggling without hope. That they might know what it is to have the hope of Christ, the hope of glory for themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.